Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church this morning. My name is Tim. It's my privilege to start with you a new series today. If you want to take your Bible, please go to Jonah. We're going to be looking at him over the next four weeks. I grew up in a Christian home, and so as a kid, whether it's at home having family devotions or whether it's at kids' church, you heard these Old Testament stories in particular, and as a young man, the stories of, of other men who are courageous and brave, you begin to imagine yourself being one of them at some point. And so, like Daniel, even though he's told not to pray, he has the courage to pray three times a day, worshiping God, and then he's thrown into a lion's den, and he escapes unscathed, and you imagine being courageous like that. Or Jeremiah, told to prophesy to a nation who doesn't want to hear what he has to say, but he does it relentlessly, fearlessly, and and of course, every young boy imagines himself to be David, a guy who rips apart a bear or a lion. And the most famous story, of course, his fight with Goliath and how David um, defeats that giant. You, you, you see yourself being one of these courageous, brave men. But you never imagine yourself to be Jonah. I mean, Jonah even takes second billing to a, a, a fish. He's, he's second billing to a fish, and his, the thing he's known most for is being swallowed by a fish and then rejected by that fish as he's a projectile vomited onto the beach. You, you don't see yourself being that guy. And yet this morning as we look at Jonah, it is one of the most remembered or thought of Old Testament stories that we know of. And as we look at it, I think we're going to discover that there's really so much more to this story than a guy and a fish. And in fact, what we learn, I think, will be somewhat unexpected, hence the title of our series, Unexpected, the story of Jonah. So if you're there, would you look with me? Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So... There's not many historical details given in this story, but one thing we know is that Jonah is the son of Amittai, and so if you, if you scour through the rest of the Bible, you find this reference to him in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It speaks of a king, Jeroboam II, and it says, He restored the border of Israel as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. Well, where did Jeroboam II get the word of the Lord from? which was spoken by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. And so we understand that Jonah was a real person. He lived in the middle of the 8th century uh, in the time of Jeroboam II. And he lived in a little town not far from Nazareth where Jesus grew up called Gath-Hefer. This is the Jonah that we're going to be talking about. And this, this book begins not unlike so many of the other prophetic books. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. If you just flip one page or, or skip to the next book, um, Micah, you see it begins in the same way. The word of the Lord came to Micah. So we know that, that Jonah is a servant of the Lord. He's a prophet of the Lord. And like other prophets... He's received a prophetic call. He's received a word of God. This is so much so like the other prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Micah, and others. But that's where the similarities end. 
As God speaks to him with the big ask, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Jonah, it seems, hears the word of the Lord, but doesn't do what prophets should do. This is unexpected. I mean, you, you don't become a prophet without some history with God. And, and prophets were known for hearing the word of the Lord that was entrusted to them. They were faithful people who would hear the word of the Lord and regardless of the circumstances would then proclaim it to the people that God told them to speak to. That's, that's what a prophet does, but this is unexpected. This is not what we would imagine a prophet to be doing. Rosemary Nixon, in her commentary on uh, Jonah, talks about how it is a story that is unexpected. You see, we would, we would expect um, Jonah to walk in obedience with the prophet, with God, but he does not do so. It's full of surprises, even right from the start. There is an unexpected ask. Now, when you picture an ideal relationship with God, what, what comes to your mind? Um, do you have room for God to speak something to you that makes you uncomfortable? Do you have room where God, for your good perhaps, or the, or the good of others, can speak something to you where he's asking you to do something difficult. In, in your concept of a right relationship with God, do you have room for that in your picture of what it should look like? Because this is exactly what happens to Jonah. He's been given an unexpected and difficult ask. So Jonah lives in, in, in a little city outside of Nazareth, and Nineveh is like 1,200 kilometers in the other direction east. Like that's a long ways. Even today, if you, were, if you were to get in a car and drive, it would probably take you, like that's beyond Calgary. Calgary's about 1,000 from Vancouver, so it'd be beyond that. It would, it would probably normally take you, unless you're executive pastor Rod Adrian, who drives forever, it'd probably take you two days to get there. And that's with a vehicle. Uh, they don't have cars in those days. We're talking about a walk, a 1,200-kilometer walk to get to Nineveh through the desert in large parts. This is not, this is not something easy that God is asking of Jonah. But, but much more than the fact that Nineveh is geographically far in Jonah's mind and in the people of Israel's mind. They are far from God. These are a people that are evil. They're wicked. They're far from God. We have a, a quote from one of the earlier kings of Assyria. I mean, these people were, power, were growing in power and they were vicious in their power. Asher Nasser Paul said, in strife and conflict, he killed like 3,000 people, and then he cut off body parts and limbs of these people. Like It's like he relished in this kind of gruesome um, victory that they, they, when they overcame other cities and nations. This is the kind of people that um, Jonah is being called to go to. They're not nice. 
This is like if you were like a person living in a small town in the Ukraine and you were called to go to Moscow, um, you know, the city, the center of the superpower, Russia, and you were going to go there, one person alone, and, and wave your finger at the, at the city and the government and say, you're acting in evil ways. Like that probably wouldn't go so well for you. This is the, the ask that God has given to Jonah. And so what does he do? Well, Jonah called east, goes west. Jonah called east, goes west. We read in verse 3 again. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, which we think might be in Spain, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So, there's a lot of irony in the book of of Jonah. Um, Running from the presence of the Lord is like jumping off a building, isn't it, and hoping you don't go down. Isn't that really what it's like to run away from the presence of the Lord? Like, isn't that like the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard of? So it, it, Jonah's filled with, with irony. And I, now you think about your relationships again with other people. When you are scorned by someone, when they say, hey, I don't want anything to do with you, and they head in the opposite direction, how do you normally respond to, to that type of uh, feedback I don't know about you, but I, I naturally go, like, inside. This is my internal talk. Like, okay, good. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. you. You don't want to have anything to do with me? That's fine. Like, go your way. I'll go my way, and, and that'll be it. But, but look what we see in the Scripture. A God who is scorned, who has, you know, he doesn't have any need for us. It's not like God is made complete by his relationships with, with people. But this God who is scorned pursues Jonah. And he does it through a storm. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. God is interested in Jonah, and in his interest, he's going to do something about their relationship. Jacques Ellul, who is the French philosopher, said, God thinks his choice so important and takes the one elected so seriously that he does something about it. Because his vocation, this calling that he's given to that person is so very important. He wants man to fulfill that calling. And so they say, you know, when, when, when things are drastic, sometimes drastic measures are needed. Jonah has fleed from the presence of the Lord. He's done something so drastic for a prophet of the Lord to do that God takes up drastic measures to get his attention. You know, as I've been in pastoral ministry for, for many years, it's, it's not been uncommon for me when I hear the story of people and what they're going through Uh, Sometimes when they go through a difficult circumstance, and please hear me, not every difficult circumstance is from the Lord and and that God is, you know, working in that or caused it. But sometimes people people will experience a difficult circumstance and later they will tell you how important that was. Although they hated it at the time, how important that difficult circumstance was because it, it woke them up. It got their attention again. 
They had drifted away from God. And this difficult circumstance woke them up and brought them back to God. God knows that this is a tendency that we have to, to, to wander from him. You know, when he, in the Old Testament, when he wanted to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, his desire was, you know, he just wanted to bless them. He wanted to, for them to live in abundance. But as, he, as he's promising them this abundance and he's bringing them into it, he says, don't forget me. Like, don't let this blessing cause you to wander from me. It, it, it shouldn't do that. God's blessing should cause us to, to run more to God. But, but God knows that sometimes our temptation is in blessing, in times of abundance, instead of causing that to run to God, we start going our own way. We start moving away from God. But God is, is not going to let us go that way. And he'll, he'll do something. He loves us so much he will do something to get our attention. He does this to Jonah, and we need to see that the storm that he brings about is a measure of God's grace to get his attention. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. There's irony again in this, in this story here. Do you see it? The, the, those that are pagans, those that are idolatry, you know, they worship other gods, are are more bent, more likely to call upon a deity than Jonah, who has been a prophet of God. And in the most ironical situation, it is these worshipers of other gods who God uses as an instrument in his hands to wake up Jonah to his own relationship with his God. It's incredible irony that's going on here. The reveal, verse 7 and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. So this was their method in their day to, to discern, if you will, what God might be saying. And, and as they do this, Jonah is exposed. Jonah had thought, hey, I can run from God. I can God can call me east and I'll go west and I'll run from him and, and the way the story's written. Like Jonah, Jonah tries to make himself the most anonymous person on that ship. He goes down to a place where he won't be seen and discovered. He goes down where it's dark. He goes down where it's quiet. And there he sleeps. And we may think, you know, we can escape, we can run, we can hide no one's going to know, you know, my, my dark past or what I'm running from. No one's going to know. But God always knows. And in his grace here, God shines his light on Jonah. See, this is always the way out of our disobedience. This is always the way out of our sin. It's not just to keep heading into darkness. It's got to be brought into the light. And this is grace. 
So if we're, if we're stuck in something, if, if we feel we can't get out, if we're, if we're running, the way back is to, is to not to keep hiding, not to try to be anonymous. The way back is to bring it into the light before God and with others who know him and love God and will love you. That's the way out. If you're stuck this morning, it's not to hide. It's to come into the light. And God, out of his mercy and grace, brings Jonah into the light. And then irony of irony, we see Jonah's confession. They say in verse 8, Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account is this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? Like, what is your country? And what people are you? Jonah says to them in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, is that ironic or what? See what's going on here? Like, I'm, the, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. What has Jonah been doing? He's been running from the God of the, of the heavens, of the earth, of the sea, as if he could hide from him. See, sometimes the way we act and the, what we profess can be completely opposite things. And, and the writer is showing us that this is true in Jonah's life and wants us to contemplate sometimes, could that be true in our own lives? Where we say one thing and we live another. God wants to bring those two together in the reveal. We can have our statements right, but we need to be moving towards God so that the two are integrated. Verse 11, the effect. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? See, Jonah said it's because of me that this whole storm has happened. He said to them, verse 12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So my wife and I are, are flying from Thailand into Hong Kong. It's 1986. And as it were, we are flying head into Super Typhoon Peggy. And as we're on this flight, um, we, I, I've been on a number of roller coasters in my life, and they're exciting. I love it when your stomach just drops, right? When it's, oh, woo, oh, that was amazing. When you're on a roller coaster ride and you're buckled in and, and it's a controlled ride, like that's really, that's fun, that's exciting. When you're on a big plane and it's not controlled, that's a little different, and we are being thrown around like a wild roller coaster. And uh, there's, a, there's a bit of shriek now and then, but the plane has become incredibly quiet because people are so afraid. Except for me and my wife. Because of our faith in God, I don't know, in this moment we were not afraid. And we were just okay. Like, we'll be okay. But in that quiet, in that fear quiet, this man who had been drinking too much on the flight pipes up, well, I guess if your number is up, your number is up. My wife and I started giggling, but we could see no one else around us thought it was funny. But it got worse. Because then he said, but what happens when the pilot's number is up? Well, this actually happened. Stranger than fiction. 
And that question is a relevant question to the story of Jonah. Because the, the mariners and we are made to know that what's going on with this tumultuous storm is because of one person, Jonah. Because of what God is doing with Jonah has a huge effect on everyone around him. Isn't that the way it goes sometimes in life? How one person, what they're doing can have such a huge effect. We see this sometimes in a negative way, like with suicides, when there's a high profile suicide, a lot of times they can, you know, the needle jumps in a real sad and negative way that more people commit suicide. But on the positive side, how many good things happen because other people are inspired by one great, one good activity of another person. And of course, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your mind automatically goes to the activity of, of the one person, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate. How the, the one, the good that he did has had eternal ramifications for you and I as he embraces death, goes to the cross suffers a, a, a brutal death and that through his resurrection, because death couldn't hold him, he, he brings life, like he, he, he affects the whole world. And here we are, like thousands of years later, still learning about him, growing in our relationship with him because of that one person. Jonah's life, his relationship with God is having a boatload of effect and the whole crew are in danger of dying. So Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. The response, verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. So this is completely unexpected. As we're, we're this far into the story, uh, we see that the insider, the person who is a member of what we understand to be the people of God, the children of Israel, this insider who is not a, just an ordinary insider, but this insider who is a prophet, a called one of God in a special way of the chosen people, this insider doesn't measure up to the outsiders. And, and these are these are sort of stereotypical outsiders. They would be like the drywallers of our today. I'm sorry if you're a drywaller here this morning, but you have a reputation. Like you're gruff and you listen to loud, rocky music and you cuss and swear. Like that, that's the reputation of a drywaller. This is, this is what the story is revealing to us. These are mariners. These are untamed men on the untamed sea. And this is not what you would expect. You would expect when Jonah says, well, it's because of me and the casting of the lots have identified Jonah. It's because of him that they would just quarter him up and throw him over Bored, but that's not what happens. You see, these men don't act out of self-interest. They act in the interest of Jonah, and they row hard to try and save all of them, including Jonah, but they're unable to do so. They could not, it says, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay it not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Remember, these men are people who believe in a deity. They, they are men who believe that God or gods exist. But even in their calling out, it says they called out to the Lord. That is the personal name of God. That's Yahweh. That is the name of Israel's God, the God of the, of the heavens, the land, and the sea. They've called out to him. They are undergoing here a massive change in how they think about things. They are, they are undergoing a conversion. It says in verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They feared the God of Israel. They feared the one true God that the Bible is trying to relate to us, communicate to us. They feared him. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You get how incredible this story is? Jonah is running from his commitments. And these sailors who were worshipers of other gods are making commitments to the one true God. What a story. Now, let's remember that, that the Old Testament was originally written to, to Jews. And so as they're reading this, this is messing all their categories. And maybe even this morning as I'm relaying the story, you're, you're beginning to see the ramifications of this. This is, this is messing up all our categories. But what's going to become clear, even as it's clear now, is that God is a God who is relentless some would even say reckless from our perspective in his pursuit of people, of the people of Israel, but beyond that, of the sailors, even of the Ninevites, which means you, which means me, that God is on a mission to rescue and to save all of us. And what matters not so much in the moment is that what we profess? It's what direction are we moving in? Does it match our profession? Uh, there was a, a man named um, Hebert. I can't remember his first name for, for some reason now. But he, uh, a number of decades ago, he talked about how we look at people from a Christian perspective. And he introduced the concept of bounded set and centered set. He says, so often in a North American church, we have this bounded set. We have like these hard boundaries, and, and we categorize people as either in or out. And sometimes those boundaries aren't even scriptural, like they're cultural boundaries. And if people don't accept our boundaries, then we just, we just keep pushing them to the outside. As a missiologist, Hebert said, we need to think beyond that. We need to think about what direction are people moving into. And the most important thing is, are they moving towards God? And that's what we see in the story. We see people who should be moving towards God and Jonah isn't, and those who we wouldn't expect moving towards God are. And we need to understand that God is working in all kinds of people, even those who right now at this moment may not be professing the right beliefs, the way that we understand them, as important as those beliefs are, those beliefs and those professions need to come, but the direction and the professions need to come together. And the question this morning is, what direction are we moving into? This book is about God on a mission to Jonah and to the world, to Nineveh, to the sailors, to you and me. He's a relentless, loving God. 
On November 3rd of this month, um, a man who has been a real leader in the Christian community, he taught at Regent University here in Vancouver, Eugene Peterson. Most of you um, that have been in the Christian faith for a while uh, will have come across the, the Bible a paraphrase called The Message. That was the work of Eugene Peterson. He's influenced so many people in his lifetime. Uh, his memorial was held on November 3rd. And in that memorial, his son Leif said something that surprised many. He said, a lot of you think my father was brilliant, that he had all these great and new and different ideas. But he said, I want you to know the secret of my dad. He had only one message. One message. He says, I know what that message is. Because for many years of my life, he would come into my bedroom and he would whisper that message. You know what that message was? God loves you. God is for you. God is coming after you. He is relentless. God loves you. God is for you. He is coming after you. He is relentless. That was the God that Eugene Peterson Proclaim. That is the God that the story of Jonah is, is proclaiming to us. And what matters most, as the story speaks to us this morning, is what direction are we moving in as God is pursuing us. And as that we move towards God and towards his direction, we come to know his presence. We come to know his love. And we come to know his mission, which is for all people. Even those people that you might despise right now, as Jonah despised the Ninevites. And the Assyrians, God's love reaches, yes, even that far. And what is so important is what direction are we moving in? And as we're moving in the right direction, will we move along with God in the mission and the vocation calling that he has for us? Maybe it'll be different than Jonah's. Maybe we're not all called to be prophets like Jonah's. But in this purpose and plan, this missional plan of love that God has for the world, he's got a vocation. He's got a calling for you with your name written on it. Are you moving with him in that direction this morning? As you consider God loves you, he is for you. He's coming after you. He's relentless. I'm going to pray for us. Father, this morning, we are grateful that you have revealed to us your character and your nature in so many ways, Lord, through your word. We thank you, Lord, that ultimately you revealed yourself, your character and nature through your son, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that wherever we look, we see your love, and we see, Lord, that you are for us. We see that your love has pursued us, even when we've wandered from you. And this morning, Lord, we desire, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just bring our hearts back to that place where as you have pursued us relentlessly, Lord, so may our per pursuit to follow and to walk with you also, Lord, in a way, be called relentless, because you are worthy of that for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name, amen.